Welcome to For the Culture Podcast, where we and our guests discuss our lived experiences in science. This podcast explores how our work and mere presence impact our culture today. This podcast is an unfiltered conversation and really more of a therapy session where we can vent and um, hopefully the audience can benefit from our experiences. This podcast provides a platform for emerging and current scientists to discuss their development as individuals and community leaders in order to help and improve our culture. Well, welcome back to the show. Hope everybody had a great week. We have a special, special interview in store today on For the Culture Podcast. I am your co-host, Lawrence McKinney, alongside with Ian Saunders and Kofi Comet Kush. We are For the Culture Podcast. And today we are joined by the founders of I Am Clinical Research Center, LLC, a newly founded research center created specifically to recruit, ed- to recruit, educate, and bring awareness to Black, Indigenous, and people of color, or, or BIPOC. I Am Clinical Research Center conducts phase two through four clinical trials for biopharmaceutical, biotechnology, medical devices, and, and pharmaceutical industries. The founders, Javante Maynard, Ms. Uh, Ebony Owens and Ms. Marshall Albritton have a combined of over 30 years of experience in clinical research and the clinical research enterprise. They also have a joint collaboration with Renew Health to combine operational strategies and processes to IM so that IM can focus primarily on BIPOC patient recruitment through various strategies. I can go on and on about each one of them individually, but that's why they're on the show. We're going to do that and get it right into it. So without further ado, welcome to the show, the founders of IM Clinical Research Center. Welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Some, 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 some applause and some sound effects. Don DeMarco. Don DeMarco. Don there we go. There we go. Wow. There we go. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am so excited to have you guys on the show. Uh, for one thing, you guys are all Florida Florida natives, natives, so I'm especially honored and proud to have you on as guests. But without further ado, let's just go, hop right into it. Um, as, as always with this show, we are really interested in highlighting um, the great work that people of color are doing and, and STEM, whether that be healthcare, science, engineering, technology, public health, whatever it is, we want to highlight you. So could you each kind of give me a brief, give the audience a brief background about who you are and kind of how you got into this space. Um, a lot of our audience members um, are looking for career options and clinical trial research may be uh, a potential avenue for them. And there's so much they, they can do within that space. So could you kind of give us your path to how you got into the space and what you currently, what your current your current role is with IM Clinical Research Center? We can start with uh, Ebony. Me first, huh? (laughs) Okay, again, my name is Ebony um, Owens. I have my master's degree in healthcare administration. I am in school now um, getting my doctorate degree in healthcare administration as well. Um, I started in the clinical research field um, in 2016. Um, at Bristol Myers Squibb, um, they have a next center here in Tampa, Florida. I started off as a clinical trial specialist. Um, pretty much my day-to-day was study startup, um, entering data in the systems for clinical research associates. Um, I did that for a little over a year, 
And then I went to a site, um, Clinical Research of West Florida. I was their regulatory manager. I did that for almost a year. Um, and then after that, I went to work at NIH for a little bit in D.C. Um, I did that for almost a year, too. <laughs> I did that for almost a year. It was contract work. Um, and then I came back home to Florida, um, and I was working with Farm as a site activation specialist. Again, study startup. Um, feasibility questionnaires, um, payments, um, informed consent, making sure that the sites have all their study documents, reviewing those study documents, upload, uploading it um, into the TMF system that we use, the trial master file, um, and of course, entering data um, from the sites, the information they provide in um, CTMS, another system that we use. Um, I did that for like uh, almost two years. Um, and then I moved to Thermo Fisher Scientific. Um, I've been with them for almost a year. Um, again, study startup, um, pretty much getting the sites ready to um, conduct clinical trials. Okay, okay nice. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. I am Marshall. I have my master's degree also in healthcare administration. Um, I started off in the healthcare field in the pharmacy and then worked my way into the research, um, the research realm of work. Um, I was a clinical trial support specialist at BMS with Ebony. We started there together. Um, kind of left there, did some site work um, as a regulatory manager, and then worked my way back into the CRO realm of work um, as a trial master file worker. And now I'm a TMF compliance manager for J&J. And of course, building our baby, IMCRC, and um, partnering with um, Renew Health. So super excited to be here. Oh, Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I'm next. So uh, I'm Javante Maynard. My, my beginning started... Uh, so I'm a, I'm a former athlete, Division One athlete. Um, that's how I made my way through college. Um, but at the same time, I understood the, the, the other fabric behind racism on the athletic side with NCAA. So I decided to take on a degree in biology with a minor in chemistry <clears throat> just, to, just to make sure I had a plan B if, if basketball didn't work out. Um, so after graduating from Cal State Bakersfield, I moved back to Atlanta just trying to find a career. Um, I didn't. I didn't think I would continue to play basketball, so I was looking for something that will that I could use my degree with, and that was clinical research. Um, I didn't know about clinical research in college. I was thinking of going the, the medical route, becoming a doctor, uh, specializing maybe in sports medicine. Um, but coming across research, um, I decided to partner with my cousin. Uh, we we both started a clinical site over in Decatur, Georgia, with the pain management doctor. Um, before he became a pain management doctor, he was an internal medicine doctor. So he had a large database of patients that he once treated for your common illnesses. Um, and a lot of those patients were black patients. So we were we stood out to the pharma company as far as diversity recruitment. But we, we met a roadblock. A lot of the patients, they didn't like research. They, they thought they were going to be guinea pigs. And that was a, a huge barrier to us recruiting. But at the same time, the type of studies that we were getting, they weren't the studies that 
I would say will attract black patients. Um, they're your typical insulin studies that, you know, they already take an insulin um, or just your, your, your regular observational studies. So it wasn't those big hitter studies that, that most, most of the other companies out there was receiving. Um, but during that time, I was like, well, there's more to the industry. Let me, let me, let me venture out. So when the CRAs, which are called clinical research associates, would come to the clinics, I would ask them questions like, hey, how'd you get in the industry? Um, can you help me out? And I, was, and I got a referral from one CRA, and I started work for Inventive Health. So I was a CRA for Inventive Health. Started out doing general medicine studies, and then I got my first shot to do an oncology study um, with melanoma. And I started to go uh, to the University of Tennessee, I uh, started to go down to Emory and monitor their studies. So I got that piece of the industry on that side. And I said, you know what, let me go a little higher. And I became a project manager. So I became a regional clinical trial manager for Amgen on their oncology studies. And I worked on their master protocol study for solid tumors. Um, and they had like multiple drugs, multiple comparative drugs. And I learned a lot on that on that side. And currently I am still a clinical uh, trial manager. I work for ProExcel, and I have a few different projects. Um, one on well, actually two oncology. Uh, one with a company called um, NGM uh, Biopharmaceuticals, and a Japanese company called Ono Pharmaceuticals. Um, with Ono, they're doing a uh, primary central nervous system lymphoma study, uh, which is a rare disease study. Um, so I'm working with them on that, and then MGM Bio, just a regular solid tumor study. Um, but that's, that's my track record. Um, I think I'm still young as far as being in the industry. I started in 2015. It's a lot more to learn. Um, but I believe the vision of IM and, Re and Renew Health is to, to make the company the face of the BPOC community so that they can trust the research and we can get the data and the medicines we need to get rid of this healthcare crisis that I think that we have. That's why he's our CEO. Right. Um, I'll bet you got a mean jump shot on you too. Uh we're gonna have to talk about that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was gonna ask you pretty much what you just did. Um, could you briefly describe how you guys met each other? Um, how did you come up with this vision to start these centers and what are some of the hurdles that you kind of encountered um, either, you know, starting from scratch with your own businesses, um, using your different expertise together? Because I know we work this three different heads on this podcast as well. We all have different views, different opinions, um, different passions as well. Um, so could you briefly talk about those? I know that was a long question. I'm sorry. <laughs> address, it as, address it as best as you can. No, so my, my childhood friend, I would call him like brother, cousin. We grew up together. Uh, he introduced me to Marshall. Uh, she wanted to start I Am Clinical Research. And she just wanted some information, you know, how to get started, what she needs to do. And once I started to explain to her, she I think she realized, like, you know what? I need partners because <laughs> you can't do it by yourself. Um, you, you're going to need help. You're going to need doctors. You're going to need nurses. You're going to need somebody to help you. And she was open to allowing me to come in and be a part of something special. Um, and then I was introduced to Ebony through Marshall. Um, and through that, through that meeting, we, we had one meeting where Marshall brought like some type of personality test to the table and we, 
we took like a personality test and we're like, oh, okay, like we we're all different, but we can use our differences to grow something larger. And I thought that was really interesting. Like I never mm-hmm. came to the table with people who were so uh, thoughtful of like personalities and how we can all work together. Um, but the, the vision, the vision of both companies, and we came up with this vision because during the pandemic, um, when everything was shutting down and everything was just focused on COVID-19 research, um, I started to do a little bit of just observation of the industry as far as the drugs that, that was getting approved by the FDA. And as you can imagine, a lot of the drugs that get approved are cancer drugs. Um, and when I was looking at the data from those cancer therapies, I didn't see any data on black patients or BPOC patients. It'll say data inconclusive or it has like a 0% or not enough data on black patients. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, I'm pretty sure, you know, if, if someone has a terminal illness, they're going to be willing to try a new therapy if their current therapy doesn't right. work. So it doesn't make sense why there's not enough data on black patients. Um, so I mentioned that to Ebony and Marshall, and they're like, yeah, that's not right. No, we need to do something about it. And, and we're, we're all, all in the industry, and we know in the industry they're looking for diversity. They're looking for diversity. They understand that diversity is needed, but no one, with all the billions and billions of dollars, they have not figured out how to include us in research. And I don't know if it's by design or is because we're refu- refusing research, but nothing has been done. Like they can't figure out how to get us into clinical trials or th- th- get our participation. Um, so that's that's our vision. We just want to be the face to the black community that they can trust research again, that they have people like us working in the industry who has to have our best interests in mind um, so that you know, we can we get rid of this healthcare crisis. So hopefully I'm not flying too close to the sun with this question, um, but I was just curious just to kind of piggyback on what you're just talking about. Um, what are the pros and the cons to having your own um, company uh, and aiming to diversify clinical trials, you know, on, on your own, so to speak, versus, you know, trying, trying to partner with, you know, these companies that, that that do have the money but may not have the, you know, people such as you guys who, um, you know, can who, who both know how, how to get it done and also have the um, um, think tank ready to make it happen. You know, I'm just curious, you know, what are the pros and pros, you know, pros versus cons of being, because the pros and cons to everything, um, but the pros and cons of being more on the private side of, of things, um, versus you know, uh, working with the uh, bigger with the bigger company, so to speak. Um, I'll go first. I open it to Marshall Ebony. From from my observation, I would say the pros is obviously when you're an entrepreneur, you can make your own decisions. Uh, you can point the company in the direction that you want to go. <clears throat> um, you get a sense of gratification when you accomplish a task uh, on your own company. But the, the cons in this industry is um, because you're dealing with investigational products, they like to give the opportunity to people with experience. Similar to like when you're trying to find a job, they want to know if you have experience. And if you don't have experience, you know, they, they'll push you to the side until someone gave you a chance. So that's what I encountered with Renew Health at, at first was how can I get in the door with the company? 
yes, as a person, I have research experience, but the company isn't known, and that was the barrier. Another thing, too, with research, if you're not recruiting patients, you don't make any money. And that's how you get reimbursed. You get reimbursed for patient recruitment. Uh, they do give you some startup funds, but it's not enough to sustain a business. It's just to probably last you for a couple months to hire like a few people, get things going. But to pay, you know, a salary and, and pay your employees, you you have to recruit patients. And that's and that's that's the cons to it. It's just it's the patient recruitment side and, and being able to keep the business running. And I'll add to that, Javante, um, just to kind of give some insight on why are we doing it versus partnering with the, or working for larger companies. Um, we actually are. And anyone who works in the research industry knows that these large companies are lazy. So they like um, partnering uh, with smaller companies or um, allowing you to come on to be like a third party vendor so that you can assist with those with the recruiting more diversity into their trials. So that's definitely something that IMCRC offers. You know, minority participation in clinical trial research is low and pretty much across the board. So what things come into mind when you look for, when you select certain clinical trial studies to uh, recruit the population that you serve? Like, is it mostly oncology? Are you looking for the most need for a certain disease? Like what, what's, what are some of the processes and thinking behind that? So when it comes to the studies, we look at our ability to conduct the study. Um, some studies are more complex, uh, like your oncology studies. Uh, however, I'm starting to see a lot of oncology studies move to like oral medications instead of just the regular chemo. So maybe in the future, it may be easier to do oncology study. But right now, those are more complex. So we try to focus on studies that are kind of like in the general medicine room, uh, just for typicals like obesity, hypertension. I, also, I had a previous interest in the, uh, the alopecia um, studies because I know that plagues uh, African-American women around the United States. And then just other like, uh, like weight loss, uh, asthma, just your just your regular your regular general medicine studies. Yeah. Uh, my question is, of course, the obvious. How do we convince our people to get involved in these studies? I mean, I have a grandmother who it's hard to get her to go to the doctor. I have parents now who know better, um, but they're hard to get. You know just to go to a doctor visit. So I can imagine it's hard to pull people in for a research study. Um, there's a huge mistrust in our community um, as far as where things have gone in the past, um, the ski experiment, all of that good stuff. Uh, so how do you guys not only reach out to the community, but keep them in your studies? I saw that you had like a 90% um, retention rate for the chlamydia study that you guys had. Like, how did that work out? And if you don't mind, could you speak on that um, trial as well and kind of give us a little reference for that too? Yeah, so our approach, uh, and we thought long and hard on this, is educating uh, the kids, but getting into the schools, even getting into the colleges and educating the youth um, on clinical research. Um, I think a lot of the knowledge behind it has come from fear um, just from word of mouth about what research is. So we carry those fears with us into adulthood. 
and it, it affect the way we treat ourselves. Uh, just, just like normal knowledge, so what our grandparents share with us, or how you cure a cold, or, uh, mm-hmm. or you know, just normal, normal things that is really are myths, and it doesn't even work. Um, so just, just getting into the institutions, the schools, educational system, and re-educating people on what clinical research is about. And when it comes to the chlamydia study, the interesting thing about that study, I think it has something to do with a product. Um, the product is not toxic. Uh, we were able to explain to the patients that this, this product, uh, you know, is not going to cause any side effects. This is what it's made of. Um, and if you take it, it's going to be a huge benefit to you. It's going to prevent the reoccurrence. We let them know that how many, if you, if you continue to get diagnosed with chlamydia, it can reduce your chances of fertility. So we just educate the patient, make them feel um, safe, um, let them know we have their best interests in mind, let them know that we're passionate about what we do and we're not just doing this to make money. Um, and that was, and that helped out with our retention. And I feel like with IEM, and we can continue to do that, make a business out of it, keep it in our, keep it in our, in our goals, our mission statement, then we can, we can make a change. We can definitely spark some interest in our community, um, make it, make it well known. I think, I think right now the culture on Instagram, we can incorporate the African-American culture into research and get it hip and get everybody involved. Then I, can, I think we can see, you know, a lot more involvement and retention in clinical trials. To add to what Javante said, what I've noticed is a lot of you have people that don't even know what clinical research is. And then you have those that, um, again, they all it's, it's mistrust. So trying to break the barrier and get them to truly understand, one, this is clinical research and this is why it's important to participate. And I think a lot of times I just meet people where they at, rather they're old or young, because people want to be able to relate, right? So when you speak to the younger crowd, you can kind of go into smoking marijuana. You don't know if someone lays that, you know? So sometimes it's just really meeting where they're at and using things that they can relate to. And then the older um, population, it goes back to letting them know, hey, um, you have diabetes, right? Or you have high blood pressure, pressure. The medications that the doctor prescribed, how many times did you have to change that medication? This could be the reason why you had to change that medication because it was no data available for you, for us, right? So it's just pretty much putting it out there and being able to relate. We all want to relate to something. So I think that's key. So I was just curious, uh, and maybe this is a bit of a lofty question, but um, what do you guys see as the future of healthcare? And what I mean by that by that is this: um, let's give uh, some brief background and to expound on what, on what Ian was saying. Um, I had a conversation with my mother the, the other day, and um, she was saying how uh, last time she went to the doctor, she had to take a bunch of different tests. Um, that she didn't really want want to actually do. Um, and so I was just trying to explain to her that, you know, though these tests are expensive and you don't really fight doing them, they do make the doctor's job much easier. And um, it does 
provide some some sort of, of safety net when it when it comes to treatment um, and and what have you. Um, so I'm just curious what you guys think about the automation, if you will, of healthcare um, that we're that we definitely seen over the past five to ten years, and that um, I would say that we'll see more more and more over the coming decades. Um, what do you guys just take on some of that? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I remember reading something on like blockchain, uh, the same technology they use for crypto. <clears throat> um, and with blockchain, the tests that you have done, it's like all your medical history, any diagnosis, any medication you have taken will go into the blockchain. And your doctor would not be the owner of those records. Those records will always follow you. So if you go to a new doctor or you need information on you, all the data, all the health history from, from whenever you have stepped into a doctor's office will be in your blockchain. And that will also help with any diagnostic equipment in the future that will help cure disease. So all that data, all that information will be stored um, in this system. And it will, one, prevent misdiagnosis. Um, and two, it will probably help the doctors diagnose you quicker when it comes to illnesses. Because as you can imagine, you're taking all these tests, it goes to the lab, and just being in research, the lab make mistakes. So you may have a, a sample that comes back inconclusive. You got to get another sample taken. So with, with that blockchain technology and an ability to, to have all that data stored in the future, I believe it will it will help save lives and, and, and prevent misdiagnosis. And I'll um, add to that, they can automate the data. I mean, we can't really stop technology, um, but you can't rush the data. So you still need real people. Um, you still need their blood. You still need um, like real participants to come in and be a part of trials or even just going to your regular primary care physician and then running those tests so that they can get accurate data as to how to treat you. But things are constantly changing. Change is constant. With the food we're consuming, um, different chemical makeups and what it's doing, you're going to still need people. Um, so, yes, yeah, definitely, I see it every day. Um, I'm sure we all see it every day. They're trying to automate everything. Um, however, they won't be able to automate people. <laughs> you still need the people involved. Um, but like Javante said, it will fast track um, like those diagnoses and how to better treat people. So... There's some pros and cons to that as well. And Marshall brings up a good point. Um, I, I don't think I don't think I talked about the food research. Um, that's another uh, side of the industry, food research, not just drug. Um, there are studies out there on like infant formula, infant formula studies that I have shown interest in before. But obviously, with those type of studies, you need experience. Um, you need the proper setup. Um, you have, like, sunscreen studies. Uh, you have your vitamin studies. Um, you have, like, different nutritional supplement studies. So not only just drugs, the food research will also benefit the black community when these studies come out. I kind of, I kind of want to expand on something you brought up earlier. I think Ebony spoke on, you know, meeting patients where they are. That statement is just, is so important in clinical research when it comes to outreach, when it comes to inclusion, representation, 
like these major companies, they understand that, but I don't think they know how to trans how that translates into the time commitment that it takes to build that capacity of building community relations. So I was wondering if uh, anyone could talk could uh, tackle this, but could you talk about the importance of community relationship building and how I am as leading in this regard? Yes. So pretty much a lot of it is just getting yourself in a community, community presence, right? So when we talk about meeting patients, you know, different populations where they are, of course, everybody going to have their own um, reasoning on why they don't participate in clinical research. A lot of times, you know, again, they don't even know what clinical research is, or a lot of times it's not accessible, right? So it goes back to when I worked at a site. Um, it was primarily white, of course, but again, what I saw at that site, they never did outreach, right? And the type of, of course, the, the population of people were white, but they stayed connected with certain doctors, right? So now with I am, now that I, you know, I could kind of take what I experienced working at a site and kind of implement it um, with I am. So pretty much knowing that we don't trust other doctors of different races, right? A lot of people say, hey, I don't want a white doctor or I want a black doctor, but how come black doctors don't, you know, conduct clinical research? I've only seen, you know, white doctors conduct clinical research. So now we know that in order for people to stand behind us and believe, they want to see us that's the doctors, physicians, providers, nurse practitioners, you know, anesthesiologists, internal medicine, whatever it is, they want to see black. Then behind those doctors, of course, you have, you know, us, those that do the administrative part, those who um, clinical trial coordinators, they want to literally see <laughs> the whole staff black in order to trust it. Because again, they always bring up Tuskegee. So it's just really having those personable um, conversations with the people and, you know, be honest, because a lot of times they ask, well, what have they done now that you say we can trust? So then it goes back to institutional review boards, you know, letting the letting the, the, the population, the people know that if certain things are in place to protect them. And, you know, the, the Tuskegee incident will never happen again. So, Marshall, you can add if you have anything, but a, a lot of most times they want to see everyone. African American, and they always ask, you know, what is, what do you guys, you know, what make you so you so much better than the the research center um, down the street, you know? So it's just, you know, being open and honest. It takes work. It's a lot of work. This has never been done. It has never been, you know, a success in regards to having a company that is able to recruit. Black, Indigenous, people of color never has happened. So we're definitely going to um, uh, break this barrier and make it happen because it's, it's much needed. Yeah. And I'll just add that a lot of times um, 
the doctors that a lot of the sites are using, they're specialists. They don't have a huge database of black <laughs> or, or, you know, um, diversity, diverse. They don't have a diverse um, database pretty much. So for us, it goes beyond that because we have black and brown physicians on our team that are only not only connecting with the patients from a research aspect, but also just from just healthcare as a whole. They're um, making that connection and networking um, because there's a lot of grandmas and aunties that have issues and they're not going to the doctor. They may be going to the community center um, because they don't have the money or the means um, and not realizing that, well, if you join these trials, um, number one, you know, it's free. So it's going to not only allow you that opportunity, but it's going to prolong your quality of health. Um, so I just wanted to add that piece. That's very important too, which is why you see there's way more white participants than there is black because they don't really have a huge database anyways. So if we're getting out in the community, we're not only bridging that gap between, you know, clinical research, modern medicine, but also connecting them with a the physician and helping them feel more inclined to just want to be about their health more. I think that's so important just to comment on what you said, like being a resource to people, patients. Like, yes, you, we want you to be part of this clinical trial, but there are things that I could do as a CRC to direct you to, to the other help that you may need. And even when I was a clinical trial coordinator myself, I you know, would tell patients that you know, being on the clinical and clinical research is sometimes more, you know, can be more safe for you than going to your community doctor that may not care about you at all because yeah. everybody's has their eyes on this trial and there's a number you can call 24 hours a day if something is not right. So like this is the, the safest, most regulated aspect of health that you could be a part of and, you know, it benefits you in the long run and, and people that you care about for, your, for you to participate. Absolutely. Uh, I, I totally agree. Um, like I always tell patients when I was recruiting um, that you no, know, with a clinical trial, once this drug is once this drug is approved, there's no more data. There's no more data being collected on the safety. Really, like no one is tracking every adverse event, unless a bunch of cases pop up. Then they'll put like eyes on that particular medication and maybe recall it. But no one is going to track your health over the long term. Like these drugs build up toxicities in the cells over a long period of time, and it can cause organs to fail over a period of time. And we all know once one organ fail, they'll put you on another medication and try to fix that organ. Um, so I always explain that to patients. Like just because it's research um, doesn't mean that it's not safe. And just because you're taking a standard care medication doesn't mean it's safe. You're always going to want to get checked up on. You're always going to want to have somebody that's going to be watching over you closely. So um, I try to tell them, like, just get that out your head. Not in those not in that language, but just try to, you know, remove that thought process and just focus <laughs> on trying to get better um, right now. Um, one of the things that we're super big on uh, on this podcast is like hearing about the passion behind the work that people do. Um, so I want to say <laughs> I can feel the passion as you guys talk. Um, I love to hear it, especially from us. I love that. I love that. 
I guess my question is, uh, how do you guys, um, how would you, if you, there were younger people listening to this podcast, um, we have teenagers, we have people who are in undergrad still trying to figure out what to do next. How would you talk about your career trajectory, your degrees? Um, how would you kind of help demystify what you actually do on a regular day basis? Um, you don't get to meet a whole lot of us who are in healthcare administration or doing clinical research trials at all. Um, so are there some tips uh, to those listeners about your journey that you would like to give? Um, any things that you would like to demystify and uh, hope, hopefully bring more people to your occupations as well? I would say um, give yourself grace. I would say be sure to research. If it's something that you want to do, there are so many opportunities in healthcare and once, you know, I never, I never knew anything about clinical research. Um, when I was working in the healthcare at the hospital, I knew nothing. Um, all it took was for me to actually go online and, um, I was filling out applications and I happened to, you know, come across it and I did my own research, um, on it, you know, what it, what it was, um, wow, is this something I could do, right? So, and for me, you know, they always say, well, you know, here's a job description. You have to have, uh, you know, a degree. You have to have 10 years, zero years, I mean, you know, three years experience. Um, I say still fill it out because I did it and I took a chance on myself, you know, and within that job description, it stated that I needed like two, three years in research. So I filled it out anyway and, got an interview, went to the interview. Um, I couldn't really exaggerate or make myself, you know, more than what it was because I only had hospital experience, but I was very transparent and I was very open, um, you know, just letting them know that, Hey, I can learn. I'm interested, um, in research. Um, this will be new, but I'm open and I can learn fast. So it's just giving yourself, um, give yourself a chance. Sometimes we deny ourselves before someone else does. And it, it doesn't, um, always work like that. You know, some people, some, you know, people that, um, conduct the interviews, the managers, the directors, some do have leniency, you know, and they know that it's hard and they know that it's a need. So sometimes it's just, you know, being open and honest and, um, transparent. I will add to that. Don't be afraid to network. Don't be afraid to ask questions. If it is truly an industry that you want to get into and you're passionate about after you've done your research, utilize LinkedIn, utilize different groups, ask all type of questions. Um, because honestly, that's how I got into the industry. Asking questions, seeing a big name, knowing that I wanted to be in the healthcare industry, like Ebony, didn't really know too much about research. Um, but I just started talking to people, reaching out to people, um, letting them know, hey, I'm interested. Can I have a little bit of your time? Can you tell me about what you do? Um, and so forth. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, don't be afraid to um, fill out applications. Like Ebony said, don't deny yourself. Because most of the time they'll, they fluff these um, descriptions and the requirements for certain ones like startup, um, but they'll be willing to give you a chance if you come in confident. You have, one thing we know, you have to go into these interviews confident, um, speak highly of yourself, be transparent like she said, and just 
let them know that you're willing and you want to learn. You want to be a part of the team and a part of the change that um, research brings about. So that would be my tidbit in addition to what Ebony said. Um, I, would, I would say my approach to it is more on like the, the militaristic side. Um, this, is, this is a fight. Um, we're talking about the black community. And if we go back through history, uh, how how great civilizations have fallen is through disease and illness. Um, not just the smallpox, you know, not just the things you can see, but they're putting things in the water and the food, um, even things on TV, the visual things, the psychological things is plaguing our community. And I know we're talking drug, but we also need to talk mental health as well. Um, so getting into this industry, yeah, you're going to look at it and, and see a rewarding career, the high salaries, um, you're going to see the, the positions that you can obtain. But as a black man, black woman coming into the industry, you always have to keep in the back of your head that you're going to be a minority. And because of that, you once you get in, just get in and learn. You know, learn how things operate. Learn how they write protocols. Just like Ian, go, go into the lab and learn how they make the medicines. Uh, we need that. We, we need all that knowledge because... One day is going to click that we need each other and we'll all come together. Mm -hmm. We have our own institutional review boards for the community overlooking the overlooking these studies. We're going to have people overlooking these molecules, these drugs, and close detail. And if you have that mind, you have that community empowerment mindset, and it's going to drive your passion, and it's also going to drive your career. Uh, so that's that's the thing I want to leave with the young community. Get into it for the right reasons. It don't have to be for the black community. It can be for your family. But get into it for the right reasons so that you can feel you no know, passion about it and it will benefit your life. Y'all got me ready to put in some applications. <laughs> <laughs> Are y'all looking for a scientist? <laughs> Always. Probably. Probably. <laughs> Um, as individual scientists, uh, as, as, as well as as a whole company, um, what are some some future goals and future plans for you guys? You know, what you know, five years, ten years plus. Um, you know, where do you see uh, I am in the new health going? As well as where do you see your own careers going? Um, I would say uh, we're definitely going to be number one leading in diverse patient recruitment. Um, every pharma company sponsor, clinical research organization will know about I Am Clinical Research Center, LLC, um, being able to recruit the diverse population that is a need. Okay. I will also say that um, we will eventually, you know, become a clinical research organization. So not only um, will we be able to conduct clinical trials, not only will we be able to um, do the diverse recruitment, we will also help with study startup. Um, any, you know, I'm trying to explain it. I'm sorry, in terms of the viewers, right? So 
pharma companies hire third parties, right? Pharma companies, um, Bristol-Myers Squibb, um, for an example, they will hire a clinical research organization to do like the study startup, the feasibilities to run the trials. So I Am Clinical Research Center will be one of those clinical research organizations that big sponsors will utilize to um, do the work, outsource the work to. That's where I see us in five to 10 years. I don't have anything to add to that because that's definitely <laughs> our vision. <laughs> the vision is to be a CRO. Hey. Um, and like she said, for Wait everyone to know about us, that's what we brought to Javante. Listen, we all have something special. And if we put our heads together, this can be so big. And just realizing um, the impact that it would have on um, our community and just being the face. Every time I think about that, it's like, it gives me chills because that's huge. Um, that's such a huge um, job to fill um, and to just have people to be able to look at us and be like, well, I want to be a part of it because I know them and um, I know they have my best interests. I know mm -hmm. they're built off integrity. Um, they're not going to do anything to harm me. Great group of physicians and just the whole team um, is awesome as a whole. So to build that rapport, not just in Florida, Georgia, nationwide, global, I see us being just as big as PPD, Cineos, all of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm right on board with that. Uh, getting to the, the CRO space, uh, that that is uh, that is the pinnacle, I think, of research. Um, but also like to push, you know, IEM and Renew Hire. Um, and we do want to one day come together as one. Uh, we, we talked about that on many occasions um, of, of just, you know, merging both companies um, as we continue to grow together. Um, but I also like to get into product, uh, creating different um, medicinal products. Um, it can be digital products. Um, just, so, just so the African-American community or the BPOC community now understands that you have a black company a uh, BPOC company that is now creating a medication that you're taking. And a little history behind pharmaceuticals, this, the industry started as a textile company, you know, making making textiles. And then the founders started to make, you know, different drugs to treat illnesses. And that's how the, the pharmaceutical company came about. But most people don't realize that the drugs are based off organic chemistry. They're just recreating organic molecules in the lab, and it's artificially made. And we and we all know when you artificially make God's creation, it's going to cause issues. So we need to get back to you know growing the medicines. It's not like you're not going to have the same Tylenol. You know you can still extract the same ingredients in Tylenol from nature and make an organic um, therapy. It's just that. Now you're dealing with nature, so if that crop fails, you know you you lose money as far as making your medicine. Um, so if we can get back to the the organic chemistry, the real organic chemistry, and make organic therapies, then the black community will be in a better position like we once was. But to get to that standpoint, first we have to learn how to conduct the studies. Then we have to learn how to run the studies. Then we have to learn how to write the protocols. And then once we reach and we we master those levels, then we'll be able to say, okay, let's take it a little bit higher and let's design our own medicinal products. 
Um, and that's and that's my vision, and that's and that's how I, I would like to see it. Not in ten years, because I think that's too too fast. But uh, maybe not even before I maybe I, I may die before it happened. But uh, that's that is what I'm aiming towards. Love the vision that you all have. Like it's it's so inspirational and aspirational. Um, and I think you'll get there a lot sooner than you think, because uh, there's at least one person on this call that's that has a lot of knowledge in that natural product space. So, you know, we'll connect afterwards to connect the dots. <laughs> <laughs> but I also say that, you know, entrepreneurship is a very, it takes a lot of guts, you know what I'm saying? And it takes a lot of time. So I, I commend each, all of you for taking that leap because I know people that are, who want to get, who want to do what you're doing now that, that have been in the, in their role in, in the industry for like 20 years. But they haven't taken the leap yet, you know, for whatever reason, you know, people have families and things like that. But the fact that you're doing it and you're young and you're doing it and it's, 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 it's amazing. So I say all to say, like, you guys got a, a thousand hats, got two jobs, five jobs, 10 jobs, being an entrepreneur. <laughs> what do you do like to relax, to enjoy life? What, what, what is your good pastime to help you stay even kill as you try to create something that's never been created before, um, but also try to be like a whole full person? And um, I'll show you go first. Okay. Oh, Ebony, go sorry. first. I was trying to mix it up a little bit, but go we ahead. Got an order going on. <laughs> I messed it up. Ah, oh, my bad, my bad. <laughs> go ahead, Ebony. No, I, I rest. You know, of course, I still work. Um, I work for Thermo Fisher Scientific. Um, I do I am, and I'm in school. So now <laughs> it's just rest and good time management. Marcia. I would say the same thing um, outside of I am. And then also working for j and I'm a mother of two toddlers and one on the way. So anytime... I can find rest and sleep or just something to do with my kids to give them a new experience or pour into them. That's my downtime right now. That season will change and you will see me on the island somewhere. Um, <laughs> but right now <laughs> we are resting and um, wearing the mommy hat. So yes. Javante might be a little bit more interesting. We're, we're not born here. <laughs> yeah, nap is a, is, a, is a wonderful thing at this day. <laughs> as I get older. And nap is like everything. <laughs> it's luxury, okay? And kids don't understand it. I won't get into it. <laughs> I, I try to nap, but I oversleep. That's my only fear. You know, you, know, you fall asleep when it's light outside, you wake up, it's nighttime. Like, that's my only fear. Like, what time. day is it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but for me, I, I, I still... Uh, I'm still around basketball. Um, so last summer I coached AAU. So I, I traveled with young kids, you know, just trying to be a role model for them. Uh, you know, try to give them the ropes of how to be, become a, a college basketball player, but also give them the truth behind what it's like to be in college. And you need to have good grades. You need to get education as well. Um, as of lately, um, I started coaching at a Christian school right down the street. So I'm a, I'm a varsity head coach over there. And when I leave work, I just you know, let go of work, and I'm sold out in with the kids, uh, coaching them and being involved in their lives as well. Um, I have two young boys, so um, I like to focus on them when I'm at home. Uh, not 
I don't I don't look at TV too much. Uh, so I watch a lot of Coco Melon and Blues Clues <laughs> with them. <laughs> um, and they're growing up. So sooner or later, I probably and I will stop coaching at the Christian school and it'd be just all focused on them and putting all that energy into them um, to make sure like they have a successful future. And I play in the men's league as well. So I still I still play myself to stay in shape. Um, so I use that as a release as well. Oh, man. First of all, I want to say uh, as a northern southerner, uh, I guess I like y'all's Florida accents. Um, I could definitely hear it a little bit. Shout out to y'all. Um, I guess uh, where do you guys being in the south, um, working with patients in the south, having a higher black population in most of these southern states? Um, does that necessarily help you guys in some of your studies or does that hinder it? Um, how do you kind of work in the community? I saw that you guys are in touch with churches, political leaders, um, things of that nature. How do you facilitate some of those relationships um, and maintain them as well to your benefit? Um, it's pretty much, again, it goes back to networking. Um, and I think um, for the most part, when you first have a conversation with someone, you have to make sure you're impactful. And that one conversation can lead to, you know, other connections. So again, when we're having conversations, it's just being honest, um, being tactful, um, and pretty much just putting everything on the table um, as far as what, what is needed, what we want, how we want to do it, and, you know, what make it, why is it important? You know, why, why would, why should I let I am come into our church? Why should I am, you know, go into the schools? So a lot of times it's just putting everything on the table um, and letting them know how, what difference it will make to the community. Um, so by me, right, I currently live in Atlanta or the metro Atlanta area. So it's a large black population. Um, and the majority of the studies I do fit our, our community. So um, I use third-party vendors to put out ads uh, for research, and because I live in a in a um, a high a high African American community within the metro area, they sign up through those those recruitment portals. <clears throat> Some patients they don't have um, a primary care physician, so they don't really have a medical history, um, and that helps out because what I could do is I could connect them with the office. And let them know, hey, uh, this patient will fit our research study. Will you see this patient? We'll, we'll provide assistance for their health care. And then um, once they get to a certain time point as far as taking their medications, then we will we'll enroll them in the study. Um, some patients have been disqualified because they will meet the doctor. They'll get on, the, on a health regimen. And then their blood pressure will be normal. So they won't even qualify for the study. Um, so I have, I have helped, you know, black patients in that regard here in Atlanta, just finding a doctor that will, will treat them when they don't have like health insurance. And that's, and that's a huge thing there. But at the same time, once they're in the study, they'll tell like a family member who has hypertension or they'll tell a family member who has depression. And then a family member will contact us and want to be in the study because we have, you know, treated their family, their cousin or their mom or uncle well, um, so it's word of mouth as well. You know, they'll they'll talk to other people and they'll be interested. Yeah. And one small thing I'll add on um, in regards to us keeping the personal relationships. A lot of times when we 
um, introduce ourselves or explain to people what our drive is, what our passion is behind I am. Um, they're so interested because it goes back to, like Evie said, people don't even know what clinical research is. They have no idea. Um, they probably think very high level, um, you know, people are in a lab, chimps or mice or something. Um, so when we go further in depth and begin to explain, not only do they feel and hear the passion from us, um, they become passionate about it as well. And then that just kind of helps us retain the relationship, both on a personal um, and a professional level. Oh, personally, I feel like I can ask you guys questions all day. Um, <laughs> but obviously, we're all busy. So I just want to thank you all for your uh, time. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you for making time to, to share your own personal stories, um, as well as some stories about your you know, really, really just revolutionary company, honestly. Um, so thank you once again. Thank you all for having us. Um, yes, I'll, I'll definitely uh, follow you all, uh, your podcast and listen in. I'm curious to know who else you all will be talking to. <laughs> <laughs> We're in uh, season two, so we have tons, tons of uh, amazing uh, guests that you can probably connect with too. Like this is all about connecting dots, right? We have people from industry to academia and all throughout. So we are here to be a facilitator to you guys and to uplift you um, in any way possible. So please reach out. And the conversation doesn't have to end here. It does technically, but <laughs> it doesn't have to end. <laughs> it doesn't have to end uh, for the audience because they can reach out to you through your social medias, right? And um, and if they have a question, uh, maybe tell them how, if they want to know, know more, more about clinical research in general or what you guys do, uh, how do they go about uh, reaching you? Here's Our website is IamClinicalResearch.com. And then we are on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Again, I am clinical research. That's our socials. <laughs> awesome. Is there anything that you want to say or give a shout out to promote um, before we wrap up the show today? This is a great time to do it. Um, I would just say, again, just never deny yourself and whatever it is, um, whatever you want to be, you know, go after it. You know, you're going to get a lot of people that they're not going to believe in you, but you have to believe in yourself. So... Yeah, I will just I will add uh, follow follow I am clinical research. Just just stay stay engaged with the with the knowledge that we're going to share. Uh, if we post something, repost it, uh, share it with family, friends, um, and just just remember uh, we are in the healthcare crisis, healthcare crisis in the Black community, um, and the reason is the medicines that are being approved by the FDA. The, re the results from those medicines are not conclusive to us. Um, so we have to we have to be cognizant of that and realize that research is not the enemy. Um, it, it is actually the friend of our community and we, and we have to get involved. And I will just say, um, just like Lawrence said, the conversation does not have to stop here. Um, please reach out to us, questions. Um, if you're interested, you want to know more, we're here, we're super open, we're friendly and uh, again, we're passionate about this, so we will talk about it all day, all night, <laughs> and answer whatever questions you have. And there's no bad question, 
um, will take you from the very basics of research um, all the way to what we do and so forth. So please reach out. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Javante, Ebony, and Marshall for joining our podcast today. We look forward to following your success and everything that you do. Um, and we'll be sure to put your information in our show description and on our website and uh, social media platform. So thank you so much for joining us today. This is for the culture podcast with your boy, Ian Saunders, Dr. Ian Saunders, I, I, correction, uh, Mr. <laughs> Kofi Comet Kush. And of course, myself, Lawrence McKinney. We'll catch you next time. Peace. 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 Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to For the Culture Podcast with your hosts, Ian, Kofi, and Lawrence. If you're new here, don't forget to click that subscribe button and follow us on social media. Help us grow by liking and sharing this episode with your family and friends. Hey, that's all for this episode. See you next time.